Yes, I'm finally back on the air after way too long a hiatus. Thanks, day job. Welcome back to Talking About Glaucoma, the podcast of indeterminate frequency in which I talk with glaucoma colleagues about hot topics in our field. I still have quite a few episodes that I've recorded over the past two years that I promise to edit and post soon. In this episode, I talk with Suman Thapa from the Tilganga Eye Center in Kathmandu about delivering glaucoma care in Nepal. This conversation took place long before the two massive earthquakes in 2015. I'm happy to see that Suman is back at work caring for patients and playing in his rock band. I am Robert Schertzer and I'm on the active staff at Dartmouth-Hitchcock Medical Center and on faculty at the Geisel School of Medicine at Dartmouth in Hanover, New Hampshire. And we're talking about glaucoma. Hi Suman, welcome to Talking About Glaucoma. All right, thanks. So today we'll talk about uh, delivering glaucoma care in Nepal, where you uh, live and practice. Fill us in. Right. So when I uh, when I finished my fellowship at the at the University of Melbourne in 2002, and when I returned home in 2003, I was the only glaucoma specialist in the entire country. So I didn't know how to go about it. It was a big challenge. But uh, luckily enough, I, uh, I am working in a tertiary referral eye hospital. How, how many people are there in, the, in Nepal? In tw- 26 million people. And so out of a total of uh, 26 million people, I was the only glaucoma specialist who was actually trained to do uh, glaucoma work. And uh, prior to me coming into the glaucoma scene, there were just general ophthalmologists doing tobacolectomies that failed you know, after one month after surgery and doing a lot of combined operation without antimetabolites. And uh, really people didn't know how to go, uh, ophthalmologists didn't know how to go about uh, uh, doing a proper glaucoma operation in Nepal. I'm, there are probably so many different things to, that could lead to the failure. I mean, it's not just necessarily surgical technique, but being able to follow up the patients, yes. right? First of all, because people uh, don't know about the disease, and it's basically an asymptomatic disease, and when they come to the clinic, it's uh, usually too, too late uh, for treatment. And um, uh, and when we prescribe medications, medications aren't available, and if, if they're available, people can't afford it, and so there's all the, the issues regarding costs and uh, management are there. But uh, when I c- came back uh, to Nepal, I was faced with uh, a whole bunch of people coming in and trying to uh, and asking me to help help them. So um, uh, my first and foremost mission was, apart from just doing a regular glaucoma, uh, proper glaucoma operation, was to educate uh, people about the disease. So every patient who was uh, diagnosed with the disease, uh, we enrolled them into a glaucoma support group class, which was non-existent. And we founded uh, some glaucoma patients and myself. We founded the glaucoma support group and. Uh, we started enrolling patients into uh, into free education classes that we've been having since uh, 2003, and there are six classes every year. It happens once in two months, and these are all free education classes. And, and where do they the classes take place? Because pa- because patients are living in all these different uh, villages and towns yes. throughout the country, right? So we started first from the tertiary eye hospital. So all the patients who used to come and visit us, we gave them a, a program of all these education classes, and they would some of them would travel, uh, you know, a few days. 
to come and attend the education classes. And it was free of cost. And we'd also uh, ask patients to donate some money, you know, very little, just maybe five rupees or ten rupees. And uh, and now over the years, uh, we have had a very successful education program. And we have also raised a lot of money through our education programs. And glaucoma patients donate money to uh, to support treatment for those patients who cannot afford treatment. So from an awareness point of view and looking at it 10 years down the line, uh, we have uh, actually uh, written a paper about uh, our strategy in promoting awareness and uh, raising uh, money uh, to support glaucoma patients because in our country there is no social in- insurance, people are insured, And uh, so we, we, st- we started right from the glaucoma patients themselves. So that was uh, regarding the awareness programs. Okay, and then the next step, once you, once you get the awareness, how are you going to access the patients, uh, screen them, treat them? And then after that, we said, okay, now this is one way of uh, educating the patients. Then we said uh, it was not possible to screen uh, all the patients who were coming to the hospital. It wasn't a problem because we were examining them, doing all the all the uh, all that was required clinically, and treating them with either surgery or um, or medication for those who could afford. But uh, also we realized that um, uh, for patients living outside uh, the hospital, it was also important to go and reach them there. And we have a very effective uh, cataract screening program um, out in the villages where our ophthalmic technicians, they go into the villages and they're they're taught to screen glaucoma. So we'd go with them and we'd screen uh, uh, glaucoma uh, just uh, on patients who had cataracts. So it was an opportunistic screening and just targeting people who are above the age of 60 years old to start with. Now, the screening isn't easy when we say go to the different villages. It's not like you load up your truck or your mobile ophthalmology clinic and go to the villages, right? Yeah. So but some of the clinics, are we, we take all our instruments and, uh, and we go to these clinics and spend one whole day screening cataract patients and referring them uh, for surgery. And at the same time, we measure the pressure and we look into the optic nerve and we uh, bring the patients back to the hospital for a glaucoma treatment. So this, uh, we, we did this uh, in the surrounding villages uh, um, yeah, around Kathmandu, and we found that uh, the opportunistic screening, it, uh, it, it led to quite a big uh, screening. It was very effective in screening glaucoma patients because we found that out of maybe uh, 20 cataract patients, we also found maybe five of them had glaucoma. So that was a good way of getting patients into our clinic. And word of mouth then, again, the patients would go back and say that we have a condition called glaucoma. It doesn't improve with, unlike cataract. So, so we again enrolled them into our education program, and we also have pamphlets regarding awareness of glaucoma. So we kind of spread awareness as well as screened. And um, the broad With a number like that, if 5 out of 20 cataract patients also turned out to have glaucoma, I'm assuming uh, the main reason for that is that they're being found later in the course of disease. It's not 
it's not necessarily true increased prevalence of glaucoma. Is no, that right? no. It's not, it's not, it doesn't reflect the prevalence of glaucoma because it is in fact just an opportunistic screening. But for for um, uh, uh, but for screening uh, screening only for glaucoma, it's very expensive and uh, it's not uh, beneficial in in our community. So we have to combine it with cataracts. So but this has happened and um, and we are we have have now uh, data from adjoining districts and we've published that um, it's, there's no point measuring the intraocular pressure. It's just looking at the optic nerve and looking at structural damages of the optic nerve that actually uh, help uh, diagnose glaucoma. Because we know that uh, sometimes people have glaucoma even at normal pressures and uh, uh, so just in, um, in the future, we think that if there's a portable I imaging device that we can take to these communities and just uh, take their disc photographs, we'll be able to uh, track them down. And uh, that's just uh, one part of uh, our treatment again. And uh, then also we have, uh, uh, we have uh, the mountains and the hills where they don't have uh, any access to eye care. So a part of our cataract program, uh, as part of our cataract delivery system, what we also did was uh, we set up these community eye centers in, uh, in very remote areas of the country. For example, if we were to, if we were to go to these community eye, eye centers, we'd probably have to uh, drive, drive for a day or two or, and sometimes even walk uh, uh, for half a day or, or a day to reach these uh, very remote uh, centers. And we, we established community eye centers and we also trained a local person from there who had just finished his high school and uh, was looking for a job. We enrolled them into an ophthalmic tech um, uh, program and a three-year course in how to just examine um, uh, the eye and identify the basic diseases. So we got these guys back from the community center into our glaucoma clinic and we gave them additional uh, training on how to look at optic discs and what a, glau uh, what a glaucoma nerve looks like and um, we sent them back. And uh, they had to, and, and they had to report back to our, to, the, to our hospital because they were all uh, our community eye centers. So we, we have about 10 of them now, now distributed all over the country. So we, we, we were able to train a couple of them, and, and now we also have patients coming from our community eye centers uh, to the tertiary center uh, for glaucoma care. But uh, the reality of the, of the country is that uh, the people are poor and not everyone will be able to travel to the, uh, to the tertiary center. So as again, as, uh, uh, because, uh, because Nepal has got a very good cataract delivery system, as again as a cataract program, we visit these community eye centers every year. And uh, we do uh, cataract, uh, free cataract uh, surgery. And at the same time, when patients are, uh, uh, we, uh, any patients that are suspected to have glaucoma by ophthalmic text, we, uh, we examine them and uh, we look after them. So and then how do you uh, end up treating the patients? I mean, we've, we've talked a lot about how you're detecting the patients who have glaucoma, and this still will be the matter of trying to deliver medicines or provide surgical care. So most of the patients who have actually end-stage disease are patients who have angle closure glaucoma. And, um, uh, and uh, when they come to the hospital, we do a one-time combined uh, uh, surgery, a cataract as well as a trabeculectomy. And... Um, 
and then we send them back and we, we review them. The whole challenge, of course, of glaucoma is the long-term follow-up and everything. But um, uh, when we train our techs to look after uh, traps and, and cataract patients, so they're able to tell us a little bit about how patients, they just measure the intraocular pressure and they're able to say that, okay, the pressure's uh, controlled or not controlled, and if they're not controlled, then we start them on medications. So the challenge uh, not only lies on just doing a good operation, but also if the patient, if the patient needs to follow up uh, medications, then it's uh, very difficult. And uh, we we do have medications that are made in India, uh, that are very uh, very cheap, and patients are able to afford a beta blocker uh, to be used throughout their their life. So uh, we explain to them that uh, sometimes it's really harsh, but sometimes uh, depending on the severity of the disease, we even counsel patients in our language, and we tell them that if you must not eat, you shouldn't eat one meal a day, but probably you have to spend that money to buy your glaucoma medication if you think that they're going to go blind because in in the villages if if one person is blind and then uh, you, you know the entire family is uh, burdened uh, i shouldn't say burdened but uh, the entire family has to look after that patient so they won't be able to do their daily you know the, the work that so uh, it really is a problem now um I'm also assuming a lot of these patients don't need combined cataract and glaucoma surgery. The, mm. Some of them do well with just cataract surgery. Yes. Yes. Uh, if we if we find that there are some patients who are uh, at risk, for example, if they have hypermetropia or uh, shallow angles and and um, suspicious discs and and intraocular pressures. Uh, uh, above the, the the normal uh, level, and, and if they have cataracts, we just do early cataract extraction. And uh, I think that in the future, because we have a very strong cataract uh, uh, program, and now um, we even uh, take out uh, cataracts for, for patients who have just 6, 12, 6, 18 vision. So I think that in the long run, uh, we will be able to prevent annual closure glaucoma. That's great. And can everyone there do cataract surgery in three minutes like you? <laughs> yeah, most of them can. We're very proud of that. And uh, we have great ophthalmologists back home. And and um, yeah, some of them are really, really quick. And they're doctors who do more than 200 in one day. That's uh, amazing work that you've that you've been doing. That's great. Any other uh, comments you'd like to make before we wrap up? Yeah, uh, we recently did an epidemiology study uh, following the international standards set by the ISGO, and for a country like Nepal, I think that this is ground groundbreaking work for all the resources and everything. And uh, in one district um, uh, adjoining Kathmandu, uh, maybe about 20 kilometers away, we were able to do a 30 cluster sampling and we examined 5,000 uh, people and we found the prevalence of glaucoma in one one ethnic uh, community in our where, where we had suspected that glaucoma would be a high prevalence of glaucoma and we had some good news is that um, glaucoma wasn't really pre uh, there wasn't a very high prevalence of uh, glaucoma in this community and uh, this community actually uh, does uh, uh, reflect uh, a large population of the country as well and also the prevalence of blindness in that district was really low and the cataract surgical rates were higher than 90%. So, uh, so that was proof that our doctors were really doing a good job and uh, uh, doing a great, um, uh, were delivering a great uh, eye care. 
And uh, with, along with that, we've also started a, a, a genetic study for uh, angle closure glaucoma with uh, a university in Australia. Um, and um, we, are for, we are now getting some, uh, some genetic information on this very severe disease uh, in Nepal. That's great. Thanks so much for talking today. And I'll, I'll post some links to some of your articles uh, on the website for, for the show. And also they'll be included in the enhanced version of the podcast. And uh, thanks. Thanks. That's our show for today. Please subscribe to the RSS feed at wholeoutofrob.com on iTunes or by searching within your podcast player on other devices for this show. I've created new shortcuts for both the AAC version with artwork and chapter markers and the MP3 versions that you can manually enter into your podcast player at iGuy.tv slash podcast RSS AAC and iGuy.tv slash podcast RSS MP3 where iGuy is I-G-U-Y. You can follow me on Twitter by going to iGuy.tv slash Twitter or by following Rob Scherzer on your Twitter app feel free to drop me a line at podcast at iGuy.org with feedback, including topic ideas. And if you have subscribed through iTunes, please rate Talking About Glaucoma in the iTunes store. Please help detect and treat glaucoma by keeping yourself informed. As a reminder for Canadian ophthalmologists, each podcast episode is worth half a credit in Section 2 under Podcasts. You can also use any podcast to inspire you to learn more about a topic and earn even more CPD credits because learning projects are worth two credits per hour. This will help make up for the fact that teaching in the clinical setting is not recognized for CPD credit. So subscribe to this podcast, tell your friends about it, and bug me to complete more episodes.